most of us have a routine when it comes to life. Like, we all have some routine at some level. We do something. Now, some of you are like, I'm so unorganized, I have no routine. But most of us begin our days in some semblance of a normal routine. Maybe it's been disrupted, but there's some type of routine. Like, my normal routine is I brush my teeth, I shower, I drink coffee. I'm still not sure why so many of us brush our teeth and then drink coffee. But now we're wearing masks, so it doesn't really matter. No one can tell, right? Like, it's... But we have routines for everyday life. We leave our houses in the same way. I mean, maybe you're like me. You, you think, okay, keys, wallet, watch, mask, right? Like, what do, do I have everything I need to leave the house today? And usually clothes are kind of an afterthought. You know, like, we don't, we don't really, oh, yeah, I have to wear those. I hope you're wearing them. Like, right? That's how that works. Um, we put on clothes when we do everything. But clothes are unique because we wear different things for different events, Here's what I mean, right? If you're going to a wedding, there's a particular dress code. I mean, there are levels of dress code for weddings, and they usually tell you on the invitation. There are funerals. There are particular clothes we wear to funerals. There are particular clothes. I would tell you, like, business casual, but I've learned business casual means all kinds of things to all kinds of people in all kinds of places, so I don't know what that means anymore. But have you noticed how there are certain times that certain being with certain people necessitate different attire? Here's what I mean. If you're going to the gym to work out, you're probably not wearing your dress pants. I mean, if you are, actually, the gym I went to previously, there were some guys who occasionally did wear their dress pants or their dress shoes. I don't understand it, but that's another conversation. But if you're going on a first date, you're probably not wearing the same clothes you would wear to watch a movie with a friend, at, like in someone's living room. And if you are, you're probably not going on a second date. <laughs> We recognize clothes necessitate certain things on certain occasions. But the truth is, we clothe ourselves every single day with much more than clothes. What we surround ourselves with becomes something that we begin to wear. Now, some of you go, see, I need to stay away from those people. That's not what I'm saying. In certain situations, we have to recognize we're choosing to not be influenced by, but that doesn't mean the same thing we abstain from people, right? Here's how I would say it this way. Um, we are influenced by a situation. So last weekend, we spent some time with Katie's extended family, and we are having this conversation around the living room, and finally go, man, you guys are depressing. Like, uh, I was saying it in jest, right? I was joking, but there was some truth to it. Like, the conversation was kind of depressing. But here's why that matters so much for all of our life. You see, what we dwell on captivates life. What we dwell on captivates our life. See, if we're enveloped by our social media feed, by our favorite news station, by political talk radio, by, by whatever we watch on television, what we begin to find is over time, those things will shape us more than resting in the presence of Jesus, because where we spend most of our time becomes what influence, what shapes us more. If we're not careful, all these other things that we don't really want to define our life will be what defines us more and more. And if that happens, we'll find ourselves filled with more anxiety and more fear, more hopelessness, and we'll just be more distressed. We know in these days especially how easy it is to move down that that pattern of life, that rhythm in that way where we all of a sudden find that it is disconnected 
There is no longer a rhythm to life. It just feels broken. But what might happen? What might happen if we clothe ourselves more and more with the presence of Jesus? What might that look like? What might happen? See, this is what Peter wants us to look at at the end of his first letter of chapter 5. This is what Peter ultimately wants us to to begin to wrestle with. What might happen if resting in the presence of Jesus was the defining characteristic of our life? And so what he wants his listeners to know in this letter is, listen, the faithfulness of God, like God's faithfulness to you, doesn't mean that it will be without difficulty. But you'll find that he is present with you in the midst of his presence. So here's maybe a a way to help us understand that. Following Jesus doesn't fix all of life's problems. But it gives us a place to go with those problems. Following Jesus doesn't fix all life's problems, but it gives us a place to go with those same problems. And this, this is what Peter wants us to understand, that in the midst of the uncertainty of life, that God is still present. That hope still exists. That God still loves us. And Peter's inviting us into this particular way of life, that when we'll live into this life, we'll find God's presence in ways that are literally life-changing. And so these are the words that Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 11. Here's what we see. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, Peter's writing to a church that's persecuted, I don't mean like they had to wear a mask. I mean like real persecution, like we're going to kill you for your faith. Peter's writing to people who are displaced, who are uncertain about the future. There are some parts of this that should resonate with us in these days. But what we begin to find is Peter sticks to an image early on in this text. He's asking this question, what are you putting on? What are you wearing? What is it that defines your life? And he begins with this idea, what if daily we put on humility? What if every day we put on humility? What if that's what defined our life? What if humility was what we wore? He's saying, and and it begs the question for you and I, do we act or sound humble? Do we act or sound Merriam-Webster, they define humility as this, and I think it's a great definition for us as we think about the scriptures. It's the absence or the freedom from pride or arrogance. 
Humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. At first glance, you're like me. You're like, yeah, I don't want to be someone who's known as being really proud or arrogant. That doesn't sound great. So I'm all in on that. But um, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I can probably find that I live there sometimes more than I care to admit. Right? And maybe you're like me. There are certain things you can rail against, certain sins that you can, oh, that, that sin, those people, how do they do that? I, I can't believe them. I would never do that. But I'm not talking about the things that I struggle with. Because what Jesus talks about is really easy to see the speck in someone else's eye and ignore the plank in our own. Or maybe you said, I can't believe they're like that. I'm so glad I'm not. You see, the comparison of ourself to, to someone else is the way that pride, arrogance, or self-centered thinking can move us away from humility. The comparison of ourself to another is destructive to the very essence of who we are. When we begin to compare ourselves to someone else, we miss the very nature of God who says to us, you were created in my image. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Just be like me. But that's a lot easier to say than do, right? Have you ever found yourself thinking, and maybe in these days, you could never think this, ah, I can't believe so-and-so is so opinionated. So glad I'm not like that. They don't even think about the other side. They only see their narrow perspective. They don't begin to see what others may think, or they can't acknowledge that their side or their party or their whatever could be wrong, and there could be another way. I don't think that's what happens in Congress every single week. I don't think what happens when we only watch one cable news station. You don't think that's what happens when we only begin to talk with one or two people and yet we miss the broader work of God's kingdom around the world. You don't think we move into that. In fact, us, as many of us who have decided to follow Jesus, so if you're not a Christian today, you can kind of literally check out for the next few seconds. You can listen, but you can check out for this part because Jesus addresses religious people. There's a, a story in the scriptures where, where Jesus goes, and he tells this story. So there's this moment where Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they came and they said, oh, thank God we are not like these other people. Jesus says, Who do you think God shows mercy to? It's the Pharisee, or I'm sorry, it's the tax collector, the sinner, the person who says, God, have mercy on me, sinner. Beats their chest and publicly declares, I am someone desperately in need of God's grace and his love and his mercy. Who do you think receives it? The one who thinks they've got it all figured out or the one who acknowledges their shortcomings? See, this is where this leads us because the more opinionated I see others, the more likely I am to become the same. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there because I think this is, if there's nothing else I say today, you get, get this. The more opinionated I see other people, the more likely I am to become the same. 
the epitome of hypocrisy. It leads us away from Jesus. It leads us to places that we don't want to live. It leads us to a place where we see ourselves in comparison to others. It leads us to a place where we find ourselves actually disconnecting from the grace of God because of how we perceive others around us because it's the assumption that I can dictate, I can rip apart, I can see what their fallacy is, their shortcoming. I'm right, they're wrong. We go, oh, thank God I'm not like them. Oh, but I am, as soon as I think about it. What leads us to that? We miss that every single person is created in the divine image of God. Every single person. person you think of as your greatest enemy, the person you love the most, both created in the image of God. What we find is that humility is freedom. You see, in true humility, we find liberation. True humility is liberating. It's freeing. The absence of pride and arrogance leads us to humility. It doesn't mean that we don't matter. It means that we recognize we matter less. (laughs) Other people matter too. It's not that we don't have value. It's that we begin to see others in the way God sees them. It really is for us, recognizing that Christ Christ offers us a new perspective. He offers us the ability to find true freedom. Freedom from self-obsession, whether that be arrogance, whether that be self-loathing. Both, both we need freedom from. That's what humility invites us into. And then, then Peter writes these words, I think for us, are so powerful. He's cast all your anxiety upon him. Cast all your anxiety upon him. How many of us live with such anxiousness that we're not sure what to do, that there's something that just weighs on us, that we try to control things around us that we really cannot control? Is we're anxious. We don't really trust that God's presence is enough. And so what, if I was going to say this differently, if I had to take the Greek language and kind of mix it up a little bit for us today, I would say this. Pick up everything weighing you down and throw it on God's back. Everything weighing you down, pick it up and throw it on God's back. I was thinking about a couple analogies to try to how to encapsulate this. So, so it was like at the beginning of the stay-at-home order um, it was the first, like, nice day we'd had where you could go do something. And so, like, the only thing open was golf courses. So I took the kids to go play golf. And, um, but it was walking only. So I took, a, you know, at the time, a seven and a nine-year-old. Um, both have had birthdays since then. But I took two kids to go play golf. Well, we each had to have our own golf bags. So I had mine. Isaac had his, and I carried Gracie's. Well, a few holes in, Isaac says, I can't carry mine anymore. You need to carry it, Dad. So I carry that one as well and Gracie's, and then at some point someone says, I can't carry my drink anymore, so I'm carrying it. So my kids are truly liberated. They have nothing in their hands and are running around, and I'm looking like a pack mule. But what Peter wants us to know is God is not the pack mule. He can carry it all. He's not going to get tired. He can take all those things, and it's more than okay. We truly cast all our anxiety, all our fears, all of those things. Will we trust them to God? Will we recognize that there are things that 
we honestly can't do anything about it. As far as I know, none of you in this room can do anything about speeding up the opportunity of a vaccine. None of you have that ability. Did you know that there's nothing, there are circumstances that I have no control over in my life, and you do, you don't either. But how often do we try to control things out of fear? Fear of losing someone? Fear of getting hurt? Fear of even getting sick? Fear of losing our independence or whatever it is, but what if, what if we just said, God, I'm just going to trust this to you. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to be defined by this. That's not going to be what, what happens to me. And then, and then it's as if we say, once we've said, okay, God, you can have all these things, then Peter switches the language and he says, okay, once you've really trusted all your anxieties on God, then he uses these words. He says, be alert and sober-minded. Be alert and sober-minded. In other words, once you've said, God, you can have all this stuff, then I will take up my part. It's not that God calls us not to be engaged in our lives or engage in the world around us. It's that once we have entrusted certain things to him, let him take care of them, and then we begin to see more clearly. In other words, move from worry to watchfulness. Move from worry to watchfulness. Recognizing that in the middle of worry is not really trusting anything to God. It's like, did you see this? Oh, trying to figure out the end times of what's going on now. That's a bad reading of the Bible, by the way. I'd be glad to talk with you one-on-one about that. That's a terrible reading of the scriptures. We don't know. Quit trying to figure it out. Just trust God. Trust in these things. Trust that God is present. Trust that God loves us enough. He is faithful and he is present. So be alert. Be sober-minded. Don't, don't find yourself worried about all these things, but clothe yourself in humility. And then he uses this phrase. He says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, I want to be clear here. When he uses devil, there's a reason it's not capitalized. So he's talking about is the idea of principalities and powers of darkness, the things that pull us away from seeking after the life God has for us. It's not singular on purpose. Devil here is to be for all the evil that encapsulates so much of the world around us. This picture I won't show you the video. We took the kids to the zoo on Friday night, and we actually listened to the lion roar. Or I mean, it was the tiger, but it wasn't quite. It doesn't work as well because it was the wrong animal. But but listen, to the roar. It's like impressive. So what he's saying here is this: the evil, the principalities, and powers of darkness roar around, ready to swallow you whole. So pay attention that you're not drawn into the things that bring you away from God, because if you're not careful. You're finding yourself full of pride and arrogance, like you can figure it all out, then you're going to be playing right into this idea of what all the evil in the world desires for you. But be alert, sober-minded, move from worry to watchfulness. And then a good reminder for us. All throughout the scriptures, we see again and again this reminder. <laughs> we wage war against principalities and powers of darkness, not people. There is no person who is our enemy. Jesus makes that abundantly clear. But there are things that distract us from who God calls us to be. See, too often we demonize people and not the sin that so easily entangles us. 
followers of Jesus to see people as the reflection of God's divine image, to be recognized that they are image bearers with us. And so this is what Peter wants us to understand. That's why he keeps pushing humility, because humility doesn't call us to see others as anything other than people to love. Humility calls us to only see people as people to love. Can you imagine what it might look like in our community if we only saw people as people to love? Can you imagine if you find yourself aligning with one political party over the other party, if you saw people on the other side as only people to love? Can you imagine what that might begin to do to the world around us? We have, but what about, it's not the point. Can you imagine what might happen if God's people loved people the way God loved people? Arrogance puts us in position to see others as the enemy. It's arrogance, pride, this is humility. Humility recognizes I could be wrong. I may not be wrong. I trust Right, just this week, I read an article about a pastor, I think it was in Tennessee, and went to a Dunkin' Donuts, and the guy at the counter said, sir, will you please put on your mask? And he threatened to kick the guy's teeth in because he asked him to put on a mask. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone is gracious to me, I don't see Jesus responding, I'm going to kick your teeth in. If you can find that in the Gospels, let me know. I don't see that as the character and nature of Jesus. Maybe working for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized and and angry about what he sees, absolutely. But this is not that situation at all. And and so the pastor was asked in this interview, like, do you apologize? And he basically said, no. And so I found myself in a moment of arrogance or pride going, what is wrong with that guy? Just put on your flipping mask. It's not that big a deal. And then I caught myself and go, no, that's the epitome of the lack of humility in my response. Because what I should have said is when one of us screws up, that's what that is, I should have said, God, help us. God, help us. God, help us. Be more defined by Jesus than anything else. You see, we resist persecution in the same way Jesus did. And this is what Peter writes next. Not by lashing out, but by standing firm. Having our feet firmly planted and knowing the one that suffered and died and gave his life, we stand firm by modeling his way of life. Not by railing against everything in the world, but standing fast in the presence of So that's why these words are powerful for us. See, identification with the suffering and crucified Christ invites us even deeper into the divine presence. It is the suffering Christ in which we find the depth of God's love. When we find ourselves there in humility, it is the divine presence of God that brings us, that lifts us we find the depth of what God invites us into this divine mystery that is full of his love. And so Peter is reminding us not to live in fear. He's reminding us to live as a people who know that a God of grace will restore and redeem and make all things new, even us. And so we'll end where we started. 
Peter's calling us to embrace humility with what we wear throughout the day. You see, with humility, we can not only receive God's grace, but we can give God's grace, but only from a place of humility. Because if I don't need it, sure can't give it. And if I don't give it, I must not recognize my need for it. And this, for us, is the challenge. See, if we're willing to trust our future to the hand of Jesus, we'll find hope reigns in our life, in our heart, in our home, in our community, even in the middle of uncertainty, even in the middle of unrest, even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of political season and elections, even in the midst of all those things, we will find that we can rest in the presence and love of Jesus, which redefines the way we understand and see the world. And when we embrace humility, our pride and our arrogance, that we're right and we know better and they're wrong, we'll say in that, well, Father, help me to know where you are in this. Help me to know where I might be wrong. Help me to listen to another side. Help me to approach this with humility. See, we can cast all our cares on Jesus. We can throw our burdens to God, and he'll carry them. Because he's able to carry it all. And in that, we recognize we can't do it alone. And we need him to be humble. Because by ourselves, we can't do it. Our pride gets in the way. Our arrogance gets in the way. But through humility, God can clothe us in a new way where he lifts us back up. So here's the point today. We need Jesus. We need each other. We need to know that he is faithful. We need to know that he loves us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. Thank you for the way you come near, the way you invite us to be your unique people, the way you love us as we are, but you don't leave us where we are. So, Father, help us to be people who are so radically redefined by your love and your grace that we can choose humility in spite of the world around us, that we would find that we would live in your presence in such a way that you would lift us up, that we would find when, when principalities and powers of darkness, when sin that so easily entangles us comes near, we can just trust it to you. We can trust your presence to help us see a better way. So, Father, we love you desperately desire to be your people today. Help us to embrace this idea you call us to humility in the way of life. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name.